Sorry about that. Filing cabinet accidentally opened there, so. If you would, open your Bibles and join me um, to Paul's letter to the Colossians. Chapter 3 is where we'll be, and we will hear the verses that were um, read for us in the invocation. Before we get started, just a word of prayer. Father, we come to you and we recognize that you are holy, holy, holy. Um, And yet, you condescend to allow us to enter into your presence because of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who covers us in his righteousness. And so we thank you, Father, that we can enter into the Holy of Holies, that that sacrifice was made for us. And so we come, Father. We come with our eyes looking up and our hands held out in front of us and ask you to fill us and feed us that which we need for this day. And I thank you, Lord, that you are the kind, good Father that knows exactly what we need and always provides. We are lost without you, Father, but we thank you that we are never away from you, that you are always right here with us. And so now, Father, I ask that you would glorify your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the preaching of his word, that you would glorify your own name, for it is holy, holy, holy. And I thank you that you will. In Christ's name, amen. So I'm going to reread the verses that Kelvin read in the invocation, which I thought was spectacular. He had no idea what my message was today, unless he read ahead, which he might have. But this is out of Paul's epistle to the Colossian church, chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the word of God. Have you ever felt like the proverbial fish out of water. Sometime in your Christian life, you may experience this feeling of separateness um, that you can't explain. You just feel like you don't belong. You're with your family and your friends. They don't get you. They don't understand the reasons why you do the things you do, why you choose the things you choose, why you reject the things that you reject. Sometimes you feel uncomfortable or unsettled with decisions and situations that you find yourself in that the people around you are perfectly content or happy to be in. And that happens to all Christian people because this isn't our home anymore. And Paul is addressing that to the Colossian people in this letter, and he specifically in these verses is going to help us to gain a little understanding And why is it? that I feel out of place? Why is it that the people I care about, friends and family, co-workers, can't understand why I feel this way when I see this happen? or Why don't pursue that endeavor? Why don't act on my emotions and do things that they might find totally justified in doing? And so Paul 
as he's been writing this letter, he opened, as I mentioned, uh, well, I didn't mention, I'm going to mention it now, with his greeting. He then encouraged them in their faith, so that's in the first chapters. He then reminds them, as he's laying the groundwork of the superiority of Christ, the preeminence of Christ above all things, and then he warns them in the chapter before. He warns them about following after the world as they attempt to walk in Christ. He warns them both about deadly worldly philosophies that would raise themselves against Christ and find themselves lacking, and they always do. He also warns them about empty works, which we might see as religious works, that indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and the neglect of the body, but in reality, they are of no value against the indulgences of the flesh. So after having warned them, he does what Paul always does. He turns them, and he turns them to Christ by way of these verses and by way of a reminder. And in these verses, there's some essential truths that we as Christians have to reckon unto ourselves to be true because these are truths that are transformative both in our lives right now and our lives forever in eternity with the Lord. And that word reckon that Paul uses is an accounting word. So he means count it. So your translations, if you go back into Romans chapter 6, which is where you'll see that word, um, he says to reckon yourselves, account yourselves, look in your bank account, see the money that's in there, count it. Count these things just as if they were dollars in your piggy bank because they are trues. Um, and he's going to display them because they will help the Colossian people and they will help God's church today to walk in a way where you don't get ensnared by the world's philosophies or by religions that easily make you turn away from the grace of God, which is found in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at four of them. And as Paul is apt to do, he reminds them that there is a first step. And that first step is that they are to seek and to set their minds on the things that are above, not the things on this earth. He says it a different way in his epistle to the Roman church, one that you might find a little more understandable. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So Paul is telling the Colossian church, tells the Roman church, it's the mind, it's the seat of the will, it's the heart for us that has to be changed. We have to focus it because otherwise we start to pursue the things in the world. We think that our works, our good deeds, are crediting somehow God is taking notice and going, wow, that's really a good person. I have to reward that work. Or the, the philosophies of the world, moralism, where you obey laws because they're laws. But there's no lawgiver that you have obedience to. So when the laws change, your morals have to change with them. These are all of these empty things that Paul is warning them away from. So he says, let your mind be pursuing. Seek first the things of God. Seek the things above, which is where Christ 
is. If you have been raised with Christ, it's important there. The verse, or chapter 3, verse 1, he sets the, 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 the context. If, then, you were raised with Christ, do this. And I hope that everybody sitting here today has been raised with Christ. If that's true of you, seek the things which are above where Christ is. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things of this earth. Well, what are those things? What are the things that are above in Christ? Kindness, gentleness, beauty, love, holiness, righteousness, all of the good works of the Holy Spirit, the fruits of righteousness. These are the things that are above. And set our minds on them because they will help us as we move on. So having firmly set our minds, we need something to set them on. Some truths that we can put into our little wallets on our little cards if necessary to remind us of these very things because when a child dies, the attack will come. When a job is lost, when a tragic event happens, if you don't have these truths etched on the tablet of your heart, you will get shaken. Not lost if you're his, but shaken. So to help you to do that, we're going to go through these central messages of the Apostle Paul. And it's interesting that as he, as he starts this out, there's, as Paul talks to every church, and he's done it in this letter as well, to walk in Christ, the Christian life begins by faith. It begins by faith, just as it did with Abraham, who seeing a reality in his world, chose instead to believe God. You think the story of Abraham, his body was dead, Sarah's womb was dried up, and yet God promised he would make him an heir of many nations. And it tells us in the accounting in the book of Genesis that hoping against hope, Recognizing the reality of the world situation in which he was, Abraham looked away from the things of the world and he looked into the face of God and he believed him. And it was accounted to him as righteousness. And that's exactly what you did the moment you were saved. Hoped against hope. A sinner such as me, God would never forgive one like me. But against all that hope, I'm going to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And at that very moment, it was accounted to you as righteousness. That's what faith does. So your walk begins with faith, but it doesn't just begin with faith. It continues in faith. Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, wrote this, and this is in chapter 2 of Galatians, verse 21, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, not by faith in myself, not by faith in my pharisaical training, not by faith in my ability, not by faith in anything. I have faith in Christ. He has done it all. He's done it all. So we live our life out by faith, and it'll end in faith, faith in that promise that he is our coming king. Faith that tells us that we are securely in his hands. Faith like Abraham, who believed upon God against hope, believing that he was able to do what he said he would do. 
<clears throat> so let's look, especially today, Communion Sunday, at this passage. Our task is actually to hear God speak through the Apostle Paul and to hope against hope because we live in the same environment that Paul and the Colossian church lived in. We live in an environment where we have a government that is not a godly government. We have neighbors that are not godly people. We have bosses that are not godly people. We have friends that are not godly people. We're in no different situation. We have people that are trying to convince us to walk another path. Satan is constantly setting snares for us. Our task is to hear what God has to say and to hope against hope and to believe in him just like Abraham did. Because he's the God who in Romans 14 is described as the one who gives life to the dead, which is what we were. And he calls those things which do not exist as though they did. God knew your name before you were ever born. And he called you into existence when you did not exist. That's the God that we are going to look into. And these are the promises that he has made us. First one I want you to remember in verse 3, Paul reminds us something that is shocking. You died. You died. Yep, that's what it says. For you died. You died in Christ. <clears throat> and in Christ's death, there were several things that happened. And we partake in Christ's death. First one I want to mention is that in death, we're free from the penalty of the law. By dying with Christ, the just penalty for the sins that we committed was paid. He paid them. And because of that, the penalty that hung over our heads as we were singing, and it talks about shame, the shame that we have, the guilt that we have, was removed when we died with Christ because he satisfied the wrath of God for us. So we don't have this penalty from sin hanging over us. Romans chapter 7, write that down, read this for yourself. It's a really great book. The law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. But we become dead to the law through the body of Christ. We're dead to the law freed from that penalty that was going to be incurred, that penalty that before Christ we were building up for ourselves. We were actually storing up the wrath of God so that he could execute his wrath onto us. That penalty's gone. The guilt of that penalty, the guilt of that sin removed in Christ. But that's not all. In death, we're released from the power of sin. So not only from the penalty of the law, but from the power of sin which reigned in our bodies, but now has no dominion. We have been translated out of that darkness and into God's kingdom of light, which Paul has reminded the Colossian people in chapter 1 and 2. That that power that consumed us, whether we recognized our entrapment to it or not, sin controlled us. We were its slaves. We had no freedom. We've been released from that. So sin is now powerless against us. It's powerless. So we, free from the penalty of the law, released from the power of sin, and in death, the debt is paid. The debt is paid. Our accounts are cleared. 
because of his sacrifice. So we can now, Romans 6.11, reckon ourselves indeed dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. So your old man died. You need to reckon that as true. That old man is gone. That old woman is gone. It died with Christ. In baptism, we were crucified with Christ as we were buried in the baptismal fonts and we were raised to new life. We died with him. And that's the second thing that Paul wants to remind us as you go into the opening parts of chapter 3, you're reminded that you were raised with Christ. You were raised with Christ. You now live in Christ. You died with Him, but now you live with Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul reminds them, you are a new creature, a new creature, born of the Spirit. Which Jesus, if you remember his conversation with Nicodemus, you must be born of the Spirit. You're a new creature, brand new. He didn't fix you up and put you back on the market. He buried the old dead guy, and he brought you back to life as a new creation. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. But God, who is rich in mercy, brought you to life, and you're a new creature. A new, why do I want to say creature? A new creature. You currently have all of the heavenly blessings in Christ. That's Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Right now, you are seated with him in him. You are seated in the heavenlies with Christ and access to all of the heavenly blessings. He is seated at the right hand of the majesty, interceding for you right now at this moment, and you are with him, united. Nothing can separate us from him. So you have access to everything right now because you live and we have eternal life. John chapter 14, Galatians 2.20, Acts 17.28, because he lives, we live. In him, Paul told the, the eggheads in Greece, in him we live and move have our being. We actually right now depend on Christ for the next breath we'll take, for the next beat of our heart. We live in him and we will live in him forever, with him forever. We are eternal beings. Your body will pass away. You will not. Don't get fixed on the things of this earth. Seek those things which are above. Dwell on them. This flesh suit is a thing of this earth. It's going to pass away. It's got to be restored, and it will be. But it's going to die. Don't fixate on that. Fixate on eternity. Because where you're going to spend eternity is much more important because eternity never passes. It's the eternal now, the forever now, the I am for your life. And we have that because Christ lives Paul, Galatians 2.20. I was crucified with Christ. It's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And this life I now live. We have eternal life in Christ. And because he lives, we will live. So we've died 
in Christ. We are raised in Christ. And in verse 3, as we continue, excuse me, chapter 3, it is in verse 3, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now this will help you when you feel like that fish out of water. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. What does that mean? That means that the reality of who you are, who you actually are sitting here this morning, the reality of it can't be seen in this world. And that's why you feel out of place. Because this world cannot see God. They have no desire for God. They have been blinded. Their hearts are hardened and only God can unloose them. But your life in Christ is hidden in him. So the world is not going to understand it because it's spiritually discerned. Paul tells us they can't. It's not that they're even stubborn. They're incapable because these things are only spiritually discerned. So when you can't understand, I, I remember when I first became a Christian, I wanted to, I used to tell people I wish I could rip my head off and put it on people so they could understand what was revealed to me. Because you can't, when you try to explain, why do I, why am I so much against abortion? Why am I this, that, or the other? It's because I love God. And I've seen what sin does. Because I did enough of that. And I just sometimes want to rip my head off and give it to them and say, look at this. Look at this reality, which is the ultimate reality. But it's hidden with Christ from this world, because Satan has blinded this world. So when you're feeling out of place, when you're struggling and you're feeling persecuted maybe because your friends don't understand you, and they think that you're snobbish or uppity or holier than thou, and you really feel isolated, it's because your life is hidden in Christ. You're seeking the things that are above where he is, and they can't see that. The other aspect of your life being hidden with Christ in God, if you read the end of verse 3, you are hidden with Christ in God, is your life is secure. It is secure. There's a double wall of protection. You are in Christ in God. So nothing can change that. Jesus, as he was writing, reminds us that we are in the Father. In John chapter 10, this is verse 28 through 30. It's about the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice, and they're mine, and I hold them in my hand, and no one can snatch them out. And they're held in my Father's hand, and no one is greater than my father. And they can't be taken. So your life is not only hidden in the practical sense of this world not understanding it, but it's hidden in Christ for all of eternity. It is secure. You are held by the most powerful hand that ever has been. And there's nothing that can stop that. Nothing that can separate you. That's a truth that is wonderful to hear. 
that when you are under attack, when you are misunderstood, when you are out and out rejected, when you are marginalized in this world, and you want to respond, we were in 2 Samuel today, we, we studied Joab and David, and David saw the same realities that, that Joab saw, but he trusted God and he acted in that way where Joab struck out and committed murders. You may think I'm not David and I'm not Joab, but probably sometime this week, you're going to have an opportunity to either be a David or be a Joab. Reckon yourselves indeed to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Reckon these truths to be true. And then you'll walk properly. The last truth that the apostle shares with them is he reminds them that the reality of their current life will be revealed. The reality of your current life is going to be revealed to the world at the second coming of our Lord and Savior, his parousia. He is coming back. And in that moment, you will appear with him in glory. Chapter, keep wanting to say chapter. Verse number four, when Christ, who is our life, appears, we will appear with him. There is a revelation that is coming. The whole world will see that these truths which are now hidden in Christ in the Father, your life which is right now hidden will be revealed. And when it is revealed, when he comes, your life will be revealed for you will appear in glory with him. That is a promise that you can hang on to. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, he reminds us that the work that God has started, he will complete. There will be no half Christians. He started it, he'll finish it. John chapter 14, verse 2 and following. Acts chapter 111, Revelation chapter 22. His return is imminent and his promise is certain. It's imminent and it's certain. We have a banner that reminds us of that. And we will see him as he is, for we will be made like him. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. We know not now what it will be like, but in that day we will see him as he is, for we will be like him, and the world will see that it's true. The world will bow their knee and they will see the Lord high and lifted up, reigning supreme. And every tongue will confess and every knee will bow, even those who are destined for eternal damnation. And they will declare with their lips that Jesus is Lord. All of that in four little verses. All of that. The Apostle Paul don't get caught up in philosophy. Don't get caught up in religious works. Eat this, don't eat that, drink this. This is coming right out of Paul's letter. These things concern the things in the world. Don't get hung up on that. Look above. Because what happens when you do these things, when you seek the things of God, when you seek the things above, your heart changes. And you won't do the things that this world 
says is sin, that the law says is sin. But it won't be out of pursuing some kind of worldly reward. It'll be because you love Jesus. You love God. And you can't actually in your mind even fathom why you wouldn't do those things. It wouldn't even, then you'll feel out of place. You'll feel like a fish out of water. And you're going to feel more and more like you're out of your tank as God the Holy Spirit does the work of sanctification in your heart. Because you will long more and more to be transformed more and more, which means you will feel more separate from this world more and more. You're living in a place that you don't belong in. You're citizens of this earth, but you're citizens of heaven. And the Lord has you here for a season. So when that feeling or that experience comes into your life, instead of getting focused on the world, thank God that he is continuing his work to conform you into the image of his son. When you feel out of place in this world, it's God working on you. It's not punishment. It's sanctification. It's holiness working in you. And he will finish that work. Hmm. So as we come to the close this morning, we get ready to prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table. We remember some things. We gird up the loins of our mind. We're not transformed of this world. We remember. We remember our Lord's broken body. Broken for us to remove the penalty of the law against us. To remove the power of sin which bound us. To pay the debt. We remember his shed blood the blood of the new covenant written and sealed in his own blood, the promise secured. We remember that our Lord was raised from the dead in glorious power and is now seated at the right hand of God the Father and with him we live. And we remember that one day he will return in splendor and in majesty to restore all things, to conquer all of his enemies and to claim his bride, the church. And we remember that we have been crucified with Christ. We have been raised to newness of life in Christ. We now live and breathe and have our being in Christ. And one day we will be glorified in Christ. For this is the will of God in Christ. Father, I thank you that the Apostle Paul always turns our eyes to you, Lord Jesus Christ. He reminds us that it's not in our own power, it's not in the things of the flesh, it's not in the doing of things, it's not in the knowing of things. It's in the living of a life that has been given to us, that is empowered with the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead that is now at work in us to accomplish the things that you have for us to do, Father. 
Thank you that we don't have to trust or rely on ourselves, but that we can look to the Lord Jesus Christ and receive all that we need through the person of the Holy Spirit whom he has sent. Thank you, Father, that you understand our hearts. Thank you that you forgive us when we fail. Thank you that we can confess our sins and that you are just and faithful to make us white as snow. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that though we were your enemies and dead in our sin and trespasses and sin, you gave us life. And life in abundance. And life that is eternal. And life that is pleasing to our Father. Thank you for all that you are. Thank you that you are beautiful, the altogether lovely one, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world for our sin and for our redemption. We love you with all of our hearts, Father. I pray that each one here would now take a moment as we come to the table to remember how great was that sacrifice, how magnificent was it that you, Lord, were willing to do that out of obedience to the Father and love for the Father and love for your bride. And so we thank you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.